Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell, and I'm Father Peter Mus, and we are coming to you back from the future. We are. We are recording this um, basically almost to the minute of when Marty McFly traveled back to the future at 8:46 a.m. October 21st, 2015. And hoverboards. It- Dude, that's it. That's no. the that's the that's the thing is that like uh, we are on our hoverboards doing the podcast with yeah. our self tying Nikes. Yep, there's a lot of trash around us for, our, <laughs> for Mr. For Fusion. Our Mr. Fusion, man, it's your we kids, live Marty. A, we live in a terrible future, don't we? Nothing, nothing happened. Nothing's cool. Whoa, we can see people on. We can see our faces on our phones. We have screens where we can look at each other. I think that's the only thing from Back to the Future too. Did, did you keep Actually, watching yeah. Back to the Future 2? I saw the whole thing. It was not But a very I saw it like movie. in 1987 or whatever it was. <laughs> oh, you mean you haven't watched it recently? No, I should. Yeah, today. I, okay. On the plane. Oh, yeah. I'm flying down to EWTN today to you, all watch it on the plane. How can you pronounce those letters? Are they all consonants? E-W-T-N. No, they are not. Do you know what I consonant wouldn't. is? <laughs> <laughs> I just sorry. was asking. But I'm I am, I am an external processor. No, I know. I, I regretted it as soon as I mocked you. You should regret that. I shouldn't that. have made fun of you for that. My mom's going to get mad at you, dude. Yeah, she will. Sorry, Marie. <laughs> all right, well- all that being said, we um, are in this yeah, I shouldn't Sunday have been so, in ordinary time. Sorry, I shouldn't have been so cynical though, but I just don't feel like the future that we were all prepared for as children <laughs> okay, now we're has panned out. Yeah, I mean So we, I feel a residual disappointment. Yeah. As a child of the eighties. There was and 90s. some level of automation that we were expecting on every aspect of our well, lives. Well, we have the automation. The automation's really not the issue. We have our Zumbas. <laughs> <laughs> we're cool. But nothing flies except planes, and they flew back in nineteen eighty five. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm we, just a little let down. I mean, the the next we we're we're on the verge of the self-driving car revolution though. The irony is that in 2015 what's really in is dressing like it's 1985. <laughs> they never saw that coming. No, the they really did not see that coming. <laughs> Dude, would that be funny? He goes to the future and everybody looks exactly the and same. Like yeah. It's just everybody's on their phones. Oh. So sad. Did, we do have uh what are those things called? Uh, segways. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for <laughs> thank you for knowing what I was talking about. Yeah, 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 we may not have hoverboards, but we have segways. Dude, and there's a whole new revolution of of segway boards that have no like like handles. top handles. Yeah, they, those they, are awesome. I actually like. You look so cool on those. I I um, dude, are you? You just gave me scary I eyes. I just don't for think that. they're that cool. I um, I kind of want to like try one. It'll become an obsession soon. Well, I saw one on Craigslist, and I was oh, like, I'm going to do this. Don't do it. I'm going to do this. If you're going to get a Segway, get a full-out Segway with a handle. All right. <laughs> it is the, that's my motto, it is the 30th Sunday of Ordinary Time, and we are, uh, we're closing in on the end of Ordinary Time, and we're starting to approach the end of our, you have been calling it our first season, but our three Third liturgical season. years. Yeah. We, we could call it third call season it going into to. the, we could, we could call it, um. Uh, fourth season, volume two. <laughs> That's the worst. Oh boy! Come on, dude. That, no, it's you, good. You know that I um, I'm cool. I do. I do. Okay. Um, our first reading is uh, Jeremiah thirty one seven through nine. Thirty one seven through nine. Good. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm one twenty six verses one through two, th- two through three, four through five, and six. And the response itself is from verse three. And 
<clears throat> then we get into uh, we're in the morning again. You know, I was talking to my brother, dude. My my microphone keeps on going. We, I feel like we talked about this every week for the last three weeks. I know you keep on giving me the wrong microphone. You didn't man. tear down the setup from last week. Oh yeah, it's your own fault. <laughs> it is my own fault. We're from Hebrews five one through six, and our gospel. Oh, and it's it's the it's breakfast time, so we are drinking coffee again. For yeah. the for the lanky guys, which is, I mean, we've been really lack uh, lackluster on our coffee consumption been, on this show. It's been hot. It's been hot, and so we just drink Red Bull instead. But now that it's getting cold, you drink Red Bull. Now that it's getting colder, I think the coffee will come back. You drink Red Bull, golly! I've drank it like once. Um, I actually love Red Bull. I would drink. No, I'm not. It's Smarties and and uh, cough syrup. Yeah, it which really is, is delicious to me. <laughs> anyway. Our gospel is coming from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, which was, I mentioned last week, I had a hard time not jumping into this part of the gospel. Oh, yeah. Because this is the this is the answer to some of the questions that came up last week with we, our blind and deaf disciples. Which is very cool. And, You're very cool. And I just, I went into the Greek on that one, and we'll talk about it when we get there. So let's oh, go to Jeremiah. Fancy boy. Jeremiah. We're straying from Isaiah. We've been in Isaiah for quite a while, haven't we? Yeah, you know, that's a, I feel like actually a substantial p- proportion of the entire year is, is always in Isaiah. Is always in Isaiah. Like that I, can't be possible, though, because we read the vast majority of the scriptures over the course of three years, but I feel like we're always in Isaiah. Dude, I want to get a... I don't know how that's possible. I'm, here, we need to, like a flow chart or a colored colored chart or okay. pie chart. Okay, yeah, here we go. Colored pie chart. So um, there is a statistician in this audience who is listening right now, and we need some statistics and a visual display of the quantitative information of how much how of the much scriptures of are the actually scriptures. We, that we're reading and how much of Isaiah is part of the triple liturgical cycle. Because we don't read the totality of scripture. And that I, I was misunder I, I was misinformed early in my faith to think that you read all of the Bible in the three year cycles. We read almost all of the Bible, but there's some things that just don't make it in. We really only read Lamentations, which is a bummer for Lamentations. Yeah. Anyway, Lamentations is a bummer. <laughs> okay, Jeremiah. <laughs> Thus says the Lord, shout with joy for Jacob exalted. Yay, Jacob! <laughs> Woo! Well done. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, what do you think the reference to Jacob is all about? Um, Jacob uh, is uh, the reason why we are referring to Jacob is because it's the blessing of God passed on. I don't know. Did Jacob have his name changed at some point to Israel? Yeah. So, so it's it's not quite code language, but you have to kind of be privy to the family story to kind of get the references. You know. Yeah. It's like a nickname in a certain sense, for Israel. So, you know, I'm, those of us who are not well-versed in the Old Testament can just kind of read this and be like, oh, whatever, this is Bible stuff. It's saying, hey, Israel, nation of Israel, shout for joy, but not just, you know, by the time that we're getting Jeremiah, the northern kingdom has already been wiped out. The The 10 of the 12 tribes that made up the family of Israel have been scattered to the four winds. Um, Judah and, and tiny Benjamin are left. But what this prophecy is announcing is that all of Israel, the whole family, needs to rejoice, not just those of you who are left. So it's a it's a little signal um, pointing to what God is going to do on a universal level in the future. Mm. Because Jeremiah is specifically a warning given to Jerusalem, to the Jewish people who are there, who are 
facing the destruction from the Babylonians. And Jeremiah is an interesting book because, like Isaiah, he's going to give all the warnings that this is going to happen because they've been unfaithful. He's going to give warnings, hey, turn back or else. But then Jeremiah will also witness it take place. He'll see Babylon come into Jerusalem. He'll see the destruction of the city, the destruction of the temple. He'll watch it take place and kind of have to deal with the aftermath. Um, There's a passage that actually I think it comes right after this because I was just poking through Jeremiah and trying to remind myself right after this warning. So this is, so the way the, the book has sort of been working, Jeremiah has been giving all these warnings to the people. Hey, if you don't turn your ways back to God and stop you know, worshiping other gods and abusing the poor and trampling down people, you're going to lose your land because this is what God, God's gift to be the holy people he has called you to be. It's supposed to be a light to the world. If you're not doing that, you're going to lose this. He actually, uh, Jesus, when he goes and pronounces that curse on the temple, says you've become a den of robbers and thieves. Remember that? Yes. He's directly quoting Jeremiah 7. So Jeremiah said the exact same thing to his people. Um, they didn't listen any better than they listened to Jesus, really. So he's giving all these warnings, and then he sees Babylon coming in. And as the city's really basically burning, it's on fire, it's crumbling to the ground, two things happen. Number one, there's this series of visions of Israel looking forward and saying, oh, the Lord is going to bring all of Israel back and restore what was lost and build back this family that's been broken. It's going to, it's going to, God's going to bind the lame in their midst and mothers and those with child. Um, They departed with tears, but I will console them and guide them back. And all of this talk about restoration. And he's giving this prophecy literally as, as Jerusalem is burning around him, which is ironic. And there's this this great line, after this takes place, after this prophecy comes, in the next chapter, chapter 32, Jeremiah is told to go out in the middle of Jerusalem and purchase a plot of land. He's told to make a real estate deal. And he probably got a killer deal on it because literally the whole city is burning around him. <laughs> and he's like, I'd like to buy that plot, please. <laughs> literally as the neighborhood is on fire and crumbling and getting destroyed by enemy armies. And Jeremiah's like, you want me to do What? But God says, basically, buy this chunk of land, take the deed, put it in this clay jar and hide it away. Keep it because that's my insurance policy to you. Basically, that says, look, invest in this because you will be back. Even though it looks grim now, things look bad. This is not the end. This is a chastisement. This is a punishment. This is the consequence for your own sin. But this isn't the end of the story. This land is going to be yours again. You will come home. It will be built back up. And not only that but people from all nations will be restored and healed and flock back to this place. Yeah. So buy some land just wow. to show that you trust me. It's profound. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is this land is my land. This land is your land. Yeah. From the great California to the... All I can think of is the version we all sing in elementary school, which is not the right version. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I got a shotgun and you don't got one. <laughs> if you don't get off, I'll blow your foot off. <laughs> anyway, do you, do you not sing that? Is that uh, okay? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. I did. It's a terrible version. Anyway, <laughs> you know that it was coming. Is the funny part is, I, is I didn't. I knew something was coming. <laughs> we, well, the irony. Okay, so let's make a metaphor off of the song. <laughs> okay, God's intention. This is so. This is showing Israel. Really, the theme of the Old Testament is how juvenile Israel is, and how they're like like uh, uh, um, disobedient adolescents. Right? God wants them. Is that what you're calling you know, me right now? Well, yes, but no, 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 no. Follow me on this. Okay, I'm tracking. God wants them 
to be seen that this land is my land, this land is your land. In yeah. other words, we're a light to the nation, drawing them back. Yep. But what they become is the people who are saying, this land is my land, it isn't your land. Yes. I've got a shotgun, you ain't got one. <laughs> that whole thing. So God has his desire for them. They do the opposite. Because, just like you and I were in sixth grade or whenever we sang that, we're acting like immature adolescents, right? Who, who are that saying, is th- what this is only mine, no, uh, and and forsaking the mission of the whole of reason why the inheritance is there. In the first place, right. which is why they lost it. Right. So it makes sense. I don't know. That's a silly analogy, but. <laughs> Dude, you're, so, that's that's what Jesus does is whenever he, t- like he hears apostles or anybody say stupid things, he's like, okay. Let me use that. Yeah, he, he just basically, he gets Tai Chi on it and. <laughs> Goes goes for it, man. And then drinks some chai tea. Some chai tea after his tai chi. So that takes us to the psalm. <laughs> and uh, the you're psalm. Fa- I like I like doing podcasting with you in the morning. You're fast, dude. Oh, we, got, we got a lot of work to do today. I know. Um, psalm 126 <laughs> is about this. So again, I, the, the timeline, I, I just think is fascinating because Jeremiah is speaking about the restoration of Israel before Israel has fully fallen yet. It's in the process of falling. And again, that, that's also sort of how the prophets, if you read through the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, they're so dark. Some of them are so grim, so ugly, and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Right. But we have to remember God only chastises, and this is a principle for reading the prophets and really the whole Old Testament. God only punishes for the sake of restoration. He only allows Israel to be conquered for the sake of its building back up, even stronger the next time. He only allows the kings to fail so that he can prepare us for the greater king. Punishment is never for the sake of punishment. It's always for the sake of the good of Israel, for the sake of building back up. And that's how any parent obviously should operate. Or or the penal system. Right, ideally. Which would really be... Yes? punitive to be able to be restorative. Yeah, yeah. That's the ideal. And again, we, we often fail living up to that but that's the god never fails at that he always it always works which um so it but it's funny we're getting this this prophecy of consolation in the middle of the trouble before you know it's it hasn't it's barely even panned out yet um then you get the psalm which is speaking more fully about that restoration more fully more fully more fully more fully so it begins by saying, the Lord has done great things for us. We're filled with joy. That's verse three. But this psalm begins by saying, when the Lord brought us back, the captives of Zion, we were like men dreaming. And our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with rejoicing. And it's, what? I'm just laughing and smiling and laughing, rejoicing. Laughing and rejoicing. Because well, what happens is in the podcast, sometimes what will happen is that Scott and I will totally devolve into laughter and uh, and we'll have to edit it out. Yes, that may or may not have happened recently. <laughs> In the podcast, but the editing is so good, you'll never know. <laughs> they will totally know when it was. Um, some of you will. Um, they said, "Look at this next stanza." They said among the nations, "The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad indeed." God's intention is for not just Israel, but all the nations to say, "Oh, the Lord has done great things for them." So, right. I was teaching my my class last week on uh, Joshua, the book of Joshua. Um, and there's this passage. Remember when the Israelites first start to go into the promised land, they go into Jericho, yeah. they meet that prostitute named Rahab yep. who takes them in. And, and and Rahab, I said this in the class, Rahab expresses the most clear, articulate, profound expression of faith I think that you get in the entire Bible. This nobody, this this 
one, this impoverished woman, kind of this outsider, she gets it. And what she says is, we all saw what your God did. We all heard about this. We saw what he did in Egypt. We heard about the crossing of the Red Sea, and our hearts melted. That's God's intention. God's intention of the Exodus and all these great things isn't so like Israel could be like, rah, rah, wait, yay for us. Right. It's so that the whole world could say, wow. That is God. That's the point. And he, what the psalmist is saying is, believe it or not, even your punishment, even your exile is supposed to have that effect. That people look and say, wow, their God has restored them. He's brought them back to life. Wow. What a God that is. Yeah. And to, to look back and to think of, of the hardships in our lives and the crosses that we've borne and say, wow, that has really showed, shown how great God actually is. That's what the psalm is actually speaking to. And it was so great that we looked back on our suffering and we laughed and we felt like we were dreaming. And like what it's saying is like we felt like somebody needed to pinch us. You never have something that's so great. You're like, man, somebody pinched me. I don't know if this is a dream or not. Yeah. That's what looking back at our hardships in light of what Christ has done, God has done through them yeah. should make us do, yeah. which is beautiful. Well, it's interesting because there's, there's the quote that always comes around that is, Next to her saints, the greatest evangelizer in the church is her art. So mm-hmm. that there, that in fact, that the the great deeds and and works of the Lord are most manifestly expressed in this contemporary age in uh, in art in saints, followed by art. But what you don't ever get is actually the third thing of saying that the next greatest evangelizer is her suffering. <laughs> well, that's but, true. But 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 actually, Tertullian, but that, right? But that's the blood what we're of the seeing martyr, here. Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs, martyrs is, is the, the seed, seed of the church. church. That's actually how it happened. Yeah. So I that's, guess we, I guess we do have a third tier. It, but it's, but I, it's different. It's yeah. it's it's in a different kind of range. Yeah, it is. It, it is, and we also have to be careful because suffering is never God's will for us. He uses it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I don't want to get into this, but, you know, the fathers of the church had a big debate. Did Jesus have to suffer and die? And I think a lot of them would have fallen down on the side of, it's not fair to say he had to because he's God. He can do it however he wanted to. It's most appropriate that he did because it's the totality. He took it all on. He took the consequence. Did he have to? Is God this bloodthirsty God is like, somebody's got to die? That's not the right way to look at it. <clears throat> well, this is the thing. is, is this, this is part of the lack of poetry in our culture. Like, poetry is not about some sort of necessary group of words. Poetry is about the most profound way to express. So, like, I can convey the idea of a poem. Scott, you should be a good man. Okay, great. Or I can actually give you poetry to draw you into the mystery of what it means to be a good man. Yeah. And to experience and to walk somebody through that, that is is the whole poetic project. Yeah. Um, is to is to be able to convey true things in a way that is yeah. beautiful and captivating. And I think that that's why the the scriptures and the the in history and the experience of this should be considered poetry more than it should be some sort of expository yes. law uh, thing. Yes, and that's a very Hebrew way to think about it. The Hebrews, the, the ancient Hebrew, the, the, the Eastern cultures did not, which is where the Hebrews are situated, they didn't think as linearly. And the Greeks were the ones who kind of brought linear thinking to the forefront, and the Greeks are the ones who formed our culture. But the Eastern cultures, you know, the Hebrews included, they were not a linear thinking people. They were poetic. They were imagery laden. They were they were secular at times. That's why it's actually I don't think it is a great idea 
to just sit down and rotely read the Bible from cover to cover, because that's actually not how it's meant to be read. There's so many books that sort of, the Psalms are a repeat of the whole salvation history, but in song form. I mean, they go in cycles. It's not a rote thing from beginning to end. Genesis to Revelation, that's the narrative. It is a narrative, but the narrative is more complex and layered and multifaceted than that. So yeah, we need more poetry. Yeah. Yeah, boom. I, I I don't know. I just had this totally random insight. Oh, never mind. Cool. <laughs> okay. Are you sure? Uh, I was just thinking about how kind of Marvel comic book heroes have become uh, the kind of new Greek gods. That there's this absolutely. there's a certain sense in which um, and and they're very linear in their narrative. It's like man gets uber strength, and then goes and fights the bad guy and wins. However, there, I'm, I'm fascinated by these analogies today. You can take it a step further. When, when I feel like when we were growing up, and like back in the back in the days, back the in the old days, the superheroes were just superheroes. You know, the Superman's the movies that we grew up with. Superman was just Superman. That right. was Batman. Was Batman. Now, the more the more and more you know, people are making movies about the superheroes. You're seeing more of the flaws of them, right? Which actually makes it more applicable to the Greek gods. I mean, yeah, there there is the level of the the, the mythological gods is just all powerful, but if you start to read the stories, they're utterly flawed, and they're they're corrupt and they're evil and they kill each other and they're bitter. You know, what I mean, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. It, it actually, if you follow these stories, these these just very human stories of the Ubermen, shred the the superhumans, the super people. They always, the narratives in every culture, always it always begins to break down. Right. Because we can't sustain just this perfect being forever, which is where Christ comes in and fills in that gap. That he's, he's not just mm. some human who became super or some human that got given these powers or just something that's just divine, who has no real connection to earth and just uses humans for their own purposes, right? Right. He is this perfect combination of both. He is all of the world's mythologies wrapped into one super abundant reality. He's not a mythology. He's real, but he takes all of these human longings and he embodies what we've always wanted. Does that make any sense? Absolutely it does. Which is a perfect lead into Hebrews because that's what Hebrews for the last few weeks has been talking about. How he is the perfect. He brings together. He is not just man. He's not just a priest. He's also God. Priest offers things to God. God receives from the priest. Christ is both. And then he goes into this, it's kind of an aside almost, um, in the author of the Hebrews, and he says, brothers and sisters, every high priest is taken from among men. So he's talking about... The natural order of priesthood. The natural priestal, order of priesthood, yeah. Which is, which is present in every culture. Exactly right. And, and made their representative before God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal patiently with the er- ignorant and the erring. That's like me. Why? Because he himself is beset by weakness. This takes us back to our first reading into the psalm, right? Yeah. Looking back at our own weakness and realizing the beauty of it and how good, almost laughing at it. Be like, oh my gosh. I, I mean, I can look back at my I can look back at every single day and be like, man, I'm a disaster. <laughs> Thank, but God stepped in and somehow I made it through this. Right. And somehow he carried me. I, it doesn't make any sense. But you can see how you can look back and, and almost start laughing. Like, how? Did I deal with that thing? Right. Oh, it's because there was grace. Right. 
And it's, it's that's a beautiful thing. That, actually, I think that that's actually the, the joy of, of getting older is like you start to realize that yeah. more and more we are beset by weaknesses. And in fact, as you look back, you're like, oh, my goodness, I have been so sustained through my own ignorance yeah. and weakness. Yeah. Yeah. And my airing. And not even just sustained, but glorified. Yeah. Because those things can actually be held up then. It was like, it was like, it's not enough just for, it's that saying that I've always hated that, that people say, oh, God always brings good things out of evil. Or he always, there's always a silver, silver lining, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to believe in a God who just kind of lets us go on our way. And then at the last minute, he'll sweep in and bring some good out of it. Baloney. We believe in a God who's actually active in all of it from the beginning. It's like Jesus said on the road to Emmaus. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? Not just, oh, God intervened at the last minute and he brought some good out of this. No, God knew that you were going to deal with all of these things in your life. He allowed it to happen so that yes. not just he could bring some good at the last minute, baloney, so that he could be glorified through the entirety of it. And that's where... That's where the the rich poetry of it is. Mm. Like, like poetry is beautiful because every part is necessary, mm. and and that all of the words and the structure and the experience of it are meant to actually go together, and they're yeah. all considered. That's why, that's why, like, um, as we're lo- as we looked at the gospel last week, you know, here's James and John. Mark is Mark and Peter are bringing out John's weaknesses and yeah. saying like, "We want to do whatever you want," and like, but Jesus always takes these moments of total blunder, yeah, and turns them into moments of profound truth. That's right. That's right. And 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 actually uses them and utilizes them to be able to glorify himself. And that's where like, you're seeing that patterning already present throughout all of the scriptures. And that's where like this, you know, he says, son, this day I have begotten you. Mm. And like Mm. there, there, there's something so wild. And I, I was thinking about it. Like after last week, James and John, they say, Jesus asked them the question, can you be baptized? Can you drink the cup? We have all been baptized with his baptism. Yes. And we all drink his cup. Yeah. We've all we all start whether way. we like it or not. Yes. And 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 that's the that's the thing is that th- that's why we can and and in the baptism you are my son this day I have been gotten you. And this cup this the passion of the Lord like both of those things they're part and parcel of our lives. Yes. We we will begin and we will experience the blessing the way that he uh, the way he did yeah. so that we can have the freedom and the responsibility to be able to carry out the experience of being beloved and um, express this glory in the midst of our suffering and weakness. But one of the keys to it is what shows up in the middle of that passage from Hebrews is that um, it says, no one takes this honor upon himself, but only when called by God. And one of the things we learn throughout the Gospel of Mark Mark, I love the Gospel of Mark because it gives you the step-by-step instruction manual for how to be a disciple. Right. And the first step it lays out is that there's got to be a call. Now, I think God calls all of us to some, you know, in one way or another. But there's got to be a call, and when called, the proper disciple responds. They answer, they follow, right? And then, you know, the Gospel of Mark shows other aspects. We do the will of God, you know, we... um, he calls his particular disciples to go out and cast out demons and teach and preach and to be with him and all, all these different things. But the first step that Mark makes this abundantly clear is there's got to be a call. So what we've seen in the Gospels so far, so we've been talking about this middle section, chapters 8 through 10, um, which is called the way of the Lord section, the hodos, right? We've talked about this where he's literally on the path, on the road to Jerusalem. 
And the the way of the Lord section begins with a healing of a blind guy. And you, if, I wish we had more time to talk about it, but it'll come up later. Isn't it's it the, the guy who with the tree and then, yeah. and then the, the stages of healing? Yeah, dude. it doesn't quite take the first time. Remember, he spits in his eyes and he's like, I can see, but I, I, they, I see man, but they look like trees. And he spits again. So, yeah, there's stages of this healing. Starts with that. It ends with another healing of a blind guy, this time blind Bartimaeus, who we'll read about today. And in between these two, exactly. In between these two healings of blind people, the narrative is showing the disciples to be totally blind. Right. So that's the function. So they're 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 physically manifesting what the what the apostles are spiritually manifesting. That's what Mark is trying to show you. So then we get to this this last, I think, the climactic scene for Mark. And it says, as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a sizable crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, sat along a roadside begging. Now, Jericho, what do we think of when we think of Jericho? Uh, the walls being brought down with the priests running around seven times in the ark and blowing the trumpets. And When did that happen, though? What's the, what's the context? Because I think this is really important. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounded like. <laughs> Dude, I just... Yeah. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> You're the worst. Um, uh... It was uh, in the, uh, uh, I don't know. Actually, that's it, why I kept on making yeah, trumpet sorry. sounds. I knew. I shouldn't have. You shouldn't uh, have pushed it. I shouldn't have pushed it. It's okay. It was the, I love you, even when you push me around. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, when Israel took the promised land under Joshua, so we talked about Joshua. Oh, yeah, yeah. When Israel took the promised land, it was the first stop. I it rem- was the first place oh, that they, yes, Father Peter. I, I raised my hand. Yeah. Uh, it's when they took the promised land. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the first city that they conquered right. as they began to settle. Um, it's where Rahab was, that woman who expressed the faith and recognized who God was. It's ironic that as the church gives us these readings that are all about Israel losing the land, but then being restored, the place where the gospel actually takes place is the very city where they first took the promised land. The irony is that when Jesus is there, they've lost the promised land. It's been taken away from them and it's under the control of the Romans, right? Right. So there's, there, you can't pass by a reverence to Jericho without all of these illusions, right? First of all, it's the first city that they took when they when they gained the promised land. Which is super important. When in Jeremiah, at the end of Jeremiah, when the last sitting king of Israel makes a run for it away from Jerusalem, uh-huh. he's actually... Uh, struck down by Babylon on the plains of Jericho. Oh, so it's basically where they get the land and where they ultimately lose the land. It is the chiasm, and now Ooh. we're there again. Oh. So you're like, oh, something is significant here. Yeah, it's also this is a, just a historical side note. It is the the longest continually um, inhabited inhabited city on Earth. The longest, the oldest continuously inhabited. It never went city. away. It did. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it didn't. Because they, they, even when they destroyed it. In the, I mean, the walls fell down, but, that, but then the, they just occupied it. it. Yeah. So it's been the longest inhabited city. I think it's also the lowest point on Earth, geographically, really? elevation-wise. It's close to it, if not the lowest. Anyway, that's an aside. So Jericho's a big deal, right? So there in Jericho, we got this guy named Bartimaeus. I don't know anything about Bartimaeus. We don't know if he's a Jew. We don't know if he's a Gentile. I was hoping... I just don't know anything about it. The story would actually be fuller, I think, if he was not Jewish, especially with the allusions to the first reading about all the nations being brought in and all this stuff. Well, I mean, but we don't know anything about it. You can discover a little bit. I mean, the name Timaeus. Timaeus, yeah, which is Aramaic, I believe. Which is like Timmy. <laughs> it's yeah. also Timmy Tim's. Actually, but it, but it's actually son of Timmy. But here's the yeah, it's true. But here's the thing: he is he's he's the consummate outsider. 
right? He's a beggar. He's on the side of the road. He's pushed aside, literally, right? He's he's whether he's ethnically Jewish or not, he is the consummate outsider. He's right. over there. He's the distasteful. We don't want to talk to him. We don't want to look at the beggars on the side of the road. They're just there. We don't want that. We're sick of their signs. We're sick of their signs. So he's sitting on the side of the road begging. And on hearing that Jesus of Nazareth, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, what? Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. I don't think that we've had that kind of an expression in the gospel of of Mark so far. Peter did express that you are the Christ, which is an allusion to being the king. But this is very articulate. It's very specific. You are the son of David. Jesus has been spending the last three chapters trying to show his disciples what kind of a king he is. Right. This guy, boom, he gets it. He's like, son of David, you are it. Have pity on me. And the many Lord. rebuked him. What do the apostles do? Their response is to rebuke him and be like, shut up. Go back to your spot. Don't mess with the teacher, right? Well, yeah. I mean, They just don't get it. Well, they don't get it, but maybe they're like maybe that they're misunderstanding how the kingdom is supposed to actually take place and happen, oh, and totally what the are. hodos is. And they so, totally, are. I don't think they're bad folks. I mean, they just misunderstand. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, here's a guy who's who's been listening, who is has been understanding and hearing what people are talking about about Jesus on the road, and right. he's put it together. He's like Rahab. The other yes. person, the other outsider, impoverished person in Jericho, same place. Same setup, right? Oh. He gets it. He's not on the inside, but he right. heard. We heard what you've done. And he gets it, and he cries out. And when they rebuke him and tell him to be quiet, he calls out all the more. He says, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and said what? What do you want me to do for you? No, he says, call him, which is explicitly oh. in Mark, step one of discipleship, the call. So and, he calls it's, him. and it's also in Hebrews. Exactly right. Oh, exactly right. It's it's the the definition of the priesthood yes. in a certain sense. It says, call him. And so they called the blind man saying, take courage, get up. Jesus is calling you. We like you now. <laughs> and he threw it. So, you know, in the gospel of Mark, when people are, are called, they're supposed to follow. Right. This guy doesn't just follow. He threw oh. aside his cloak. It says he sprang up and he ran to Jesus. He doesn't just respond. He responds with a vengeance. Yeah, fully. More than any of the disciples did. Right. And Jesus said in reply, what? What do you want me to do for you? Who said that exact same line recently? John and James. Remember, well, Jesus. Jesus says that to, to, to John. John and James. They said, we want the seeds of the right land. Jesus says the exact same words. What do you want me to do for you? What would have been <laughs> the proper spiritual response for James and John to give to Jesus? Um, whatever you want. We want to see. We want to see. What does Bartimaeus say? I want to see. I want to see. He says what the apostles should have said. He says exactly what we all should say. He embodies what the true disciple is supposed to be. When called, he jumps, he runs, he follows. When Jesus says, what do you need from me? What do you want me to do? He says what is the deepest desire of all of our hearts, which is that we need to see. I don't understand this thing that's happened in my life. I don't understand why my relationship is like this. I don't understand why my child is doing this. I don't understand. Right. What do you want me to do for you? Let me see. Don't just, our our response as Christians shouldn't just be, God, fix it, which is my usual prayer. Right. Right. It should be, let me understand. 
help me to see what you're doing here. And enter me into the divine poetry. Help right. me to understand the necessity of what's actually taking place. Right. Help me to understand how I'm called and chosen in the midst of this. He embodies it. That's what we're supposed to do. And then what's, just to wrap it up, I think what's funny. Well, he says, go your way. And what does Bartimaeus do? Follow Jesus' yeah, way. Yeah, he's like, no, I ain't going. <laughs> I ain't going my own way. He actually, like Jesus even gives him an opportunity for self-will. And he says, no, I actually am not going to be willful. Yes. I'm actually going to come on the hodos in yes. in total freedom, knowing that I could go my way. He could yeah. he, he could start singing Fleetwood Mac all he wanted. <laughs> you, you can, can go, go your own, own way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 beautiful. Bartimaeus, I think, is the epitome of discipleship in all of the gospels. I love Bartimaeus. He's oh, also yeah. the only person who Jesus heals in the Gospel of Mark who's named. Oh, no one else receives a name except this guy, which tells you something. Yeah, he's significant. Yeah, and he has an identity. He has an identity. Mm. He has an identity. Identity. <laughs> That's only if you need email at CU. At CU Boulder, yeah, or access to a room. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Wow, pretty cool. Yeah, I uh, I feel uh, like I can see now that the rain is gone. It's actually still raining. It's still raining. Oh. (laughs) I can see clearly. There it is. I couldn't think of that. The rain is still here. Mm. All right, you guys. We will be back next week with a brand new episode of Blank Yes for All Saints Day. (laughs) Evangelize with the saints, yo. Boom. So we will see you then. Send us an email. Find us on Facebook uh, or any other social media platform you wish to find us on. I don't know if we'll be there. But we will be there next week. Yeah, don't fake the funk. Never. Bye. Goodbye.